Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side, LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talea Dendi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our special guest is Barry Furry. Barry has been involved in public safety since 1970, having served as a fire officer in three states and a 911 director in four. Additionally, he has provided consulting services worldwide and is an award-winning author. At age 70, he now spends the majority of his time as a dad of three children under seven, the youngest having been born after his battle with cancer. Barry, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. My pleasure, Slater. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure as well, Barry. Please tell us about your cancer journey and how you discovered that you had cancer. Sure. My particular cancer was prostate cancer, and I discovered it through some very visible symptoms. Let's just say when I went to the bathroom, there was blood coming out from places where you're not expecting blood to come out. So this was obviously a red flag. However, I will also say that it was not an immediate red flag. When I was in my 30s, I had experienced a similar problem, and the doctors could find no absolute source of the bleeding. I went through all sorts of tests, and I perhaps thought it was a sports injury because, again, I was younger and very active, and it cleared up. And I never experienced it again in my life until I was in my 60s. Had the bleeding, it was certainly not every time. It was not a stream of blood, but I certainly could tell and looking in the bowl that there was blood there. And the initial, I guess, discussion with the doctors didn't go jump 
to a cancer diagnosis on the first step, we ran some additional steps because bleeding can also be caused by other internal injuries or even a prostate infection or UTI. So we ran through all those tests prior to my getting a biopsy, which confirmed the cancer. Wow. Barry, what were your thoughts when you received your diagnosis? I think they're mixed. And as much as everybody is different, I think maybe we all share the same thoughts and concerns. I think it's always why me, because there is still such a dark cloud that comes with cancer. Why me? And how serious is it? And what's it going to take to fix it? So it was partly shock. I guess maybe some sadness, but there was also a resolution to, okay, now that we know what it is, what do we do to fix it? I understand that. And you're right. There really still is a dark cloud over cancer. And there's still those stigmas around cancer as well. On the bright side, a diagnosis does not mean that someone's going to die these days. There are more survivors now than ever. But one can't help but wondering sometimes why me and, of course, be afraid. And I guess if you look at the numbers, it becomes really a less why me. The older I get, the more families or even people I know directly that have one or more cancer patients and thankfully cancer survivors included in their numbers. Yeah. That's true, Barry. Some men struggle with asking for help. Was that a challenge for you? Hell no. (laughs) To be be perfectly blunt, you mentioned that I was a firefighter for a good uh, portion of my life. And believe it or not, firefighters are not all that particularly brave. I had a medical issue and I was going to get something done to take care of it. And I am so blessed to live in an area that has access to world-class medical care. It wasn't so much a question of if I was going to get help, it was where I was going to get help because I had some options. And again, that's a blessing. Yes, it is. That is a major blessing. Barry, for men that do struggle with asking for help, what advice do you have for them? Don't struggle. It is no different than any other medical problem, despite the stigma that may still be attached to it. If you had a serious toothache, I don't think you'd put off going to the dentist. You'd say, hey, wait a minute, this is something that is a problem. Let me go take care of it. The interesting thing with my cancer and with other cancers from patients I have talked to is there's not necessarily any initial discomfort or pain. There are silent symptoms. Had I not had blood in my urine, which was not painful, I would not have known that I had cancer. I would say, don't be afraid to get help. There are so many resources out there. There's so much good information out there, but I would encourage you also to talk to your medical providers to get a grip on what is good info. Because unfortunately, with the internet these days, like everything else, for every good, valid piece of information, there are probably 20 or 30 other links that you'll come across that are written by somebody who has absolutely no credentials, no idea, or has that personal experience the issue. Great advice, Barry. And you're right about getting that information on the internet. You really have to make sure that it's credible, that it is accurate information, and also up to date because it changes quickly. 
It certainly does. And again, like I said, my medical team was very good in providing me access to information. And they were also very good at intelligently discussing treatment options with me. That is very helpful. I say that there is a special doctor, the doctors that really know how to connect with their patients and talk with them and explain things in a way that they can understand, because really that can have a major effect on one's outcome. When I decided on the hospital I was going to use my treatment, I was given an in-person interview with several doctors who were all in oncology, but all dealt with the cancer and had a specialty different from the others. So I was able to have a day's worth of conversation with an entire team of doctors to help me make my decisions about which pathway I wanted to go for treatment. That's wonderful, Barry. Is that something that was set up for you? Was that standard of care at the hospital where you had treatment? How did you get that coordinated? It was done by the hospital. I was introduced to them as a new patient with two biopsies indicating prostate cancer. And the hospital coordinated an appointment for me where each one of the doctors came in and sat with me individually for as long, basically as long as I wanted to talk and discuss things. So over a period of a couple of hours, the hospital arranged all this. I talked one-on-one with the doctors and had the opportunity for questions and answers and then follow-ups before I made my decision. Also, some of the existing conditions in my case, and probably in a lot of folks' cases, precluded some forms of treatment and really kind of recommended others. Some, it didn't take a lot of thinking on my part. It was kind of like, yeah, you know, that's not going to work for you. That's wonderful. That makes a big difference. Barry, you mentioned to me in a previous conversation, the seven o'clock club. Can you please share more about that? Sure. I would love to. I live about 45 minutes away from the hospital. Uh, uh, Let me also continue on in that I chose targeted radiation as my treatment. There were several options offered to me. One was surgery, which I would have had to lose about 40 pounds for the doctor to do a laparoscopic surgery. And I'm not all that brave that I felt like either trying to lose 40 pounds or to have a major scar because I will not sugarcoat it and that prostate surgery is a fairly invasive procedure. I could not use the hormone therapy because my prostate was too enlarged for that to work. And again, I am just telling you my understanding. I would certainly encourage anyone else facing with the same situations to research this again and again and talk to the doctors and ask specific no-nonsense questions. I was offered the Uh, potential for the implant of radioactive seeds in my prostate, which essentially then internalize the radiation to the cancer in your prostate. However, especially during the early stages of that, you are encouraged not to have really close physical contact with small children or pregnant women. That to me was ruled out. I had the kids running around, so I wasn't going to stay away from my kids, which left me targeted radiation. So the seven o'clock club was a group of us who had seven o'clock appointments every weekday morning for about three months. And we would be the first ones there in the morning as they warmed up machines for the day. And we all got to sit and talk and HIPAA 
may require the hospital to protect your personal medical information, but that protection certainly didn't apply individually to the members of the Seven O'Clock Club. We openly and freely discussed our type of cancer, whether we've had it before, how it was discovered, what impact the cancer had on our life, and also what impact the treatment had on our life. Because one of the strange things that I was to learn is that various forms and stages of the treatment had different impacts on all members of the group. There was one particular procedure, and that being the marker implant, because these markers used almost like GPS satellites where the radiation can really be precisely targeted. And I I would also like to tell anybody who's concerned about, oh my God, they're going to nuke my entire body and I'm going to get cancer all over. No, that's not the case. They are just so precise in where they can target the radiation. They're going after the cancer, not the good cells. But when I got the last marker that was put in, either the anesthetic did not take in that area or the doctor was a little bit out of the line where he'd given the shot. But Talia, I about went through the roof and Mm -hmm. I probably taught him some some new words. But (laughs) in talking to other prostate cancer patients there, they were like, I didn't have a problem with that. No, nothing at all. But yet there were a couple of folks who had biopsies or other portions of the procedures that said to me, man, I wound up in the emergency room after that. I had such an issue. Mm -hmm. And for me, the biopsies were a walk in the park. It was just like, are you done? Yeah, we're done. Okay, I'm going home. So again, number one, don't fear any of this. The momentary pain that I experienced on one procedure certainly is worth saving my life. And I'll be honest, I've done other things in my life that's caused me pain too and didn't have any benefits associated where this one does. But I would say also don't somehow think that the radiation treatment, like getting zapped with a laser or something <laughs> like that, you know, I'm not saying again, different people have different effects. I've felt nothing whatsoever from it. So in terms of treatments, as far as I'm concerned, fairly painless. And I will also say that in being presented the five-year recidivism rates for prostate cancer from complete removal through surgery or through targeted radiation, the numbers are inconsequentially different. But again, I would say to any prostate cancer or any cancer patient, Talk to your doctors, talk about the options and do the research on what things are important to you. And one of the things that was obviously important to me with small children is, okay, hey, what are the short and mid and long-term outcomes from these treatments? Because if they would have said to me, radiation is nowhere near as good as invasive surgery, I would have said, fine, I'll lose the 40 pounds, do the laparoscopy, Mm -hmm. let's do it. But I am happy that I chose my path. My path is not necessarily your path. That's right. Barry, thank you so much for sharing that in detail, because what you just displayed was how you made your decisions based on your quality of life that you wanted, the different things that you wanted to be able to continue to do in your life. You mentioned having small children. And so that's a great example of how you took the information that you had and went through it all and made the best decision for you. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Barry, what was the most challenging thing that you experienced during your cancer journey? The most challenging thing I experienced 
probably getting up at four o'clock in the morning every day and driving to the hospital and back. But yes, when I look at that, again, I'm so blessed because a 45 minute drive is not a big thing. There were people, again, in the seven o'clock club and other folks that I met up there who were driving three hours every day to get there. There were folks who were staying in the community in a hotel near the hospital during the week, all those five weekdays to get their treatment and going home on weekends because they were several states away, but had opted to come here for the quality of treatment. So, you know, if if that is the worst thing that I had to deal with, if that was the biggest challenge, I'm lucky. And I realize that other people have a lot more personal challenges. Like I said, I can't imagine having to drive three hours to get that kind of treatment or have to stay somewhere for a week to get that kind of treatment. You know, you look at things and say, hey, this is helping to save my life, then it's a piece of cake. Oh, it really is. One of the people that I met who was not a member of the seven o'clock club, but who taught me so much, lovely young lady in her early 20s. She said to me that she says, I have had six months to live since I was seven years old. She had been through every type of conceivable cancer treatment, chemo, surgery, radiation, And they had been chasing cancer that had spread from one part of her body to another that instituted itself when she was a child. I have never met anybody who faced such a challenge who had a better attitude. She was certainly not wearing this on her sleeve. She was bright. She was intelligent. She was outgoing. She was fun. And she took every day for what it was. And I think in talking about challenges, one of the challenges is not forgetting how precious you remembered life to be the moment you got the diagnosis. So true. It is so easy to slip back into a routine. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I mean, you can't spend your day thinking, oh my God, cancer did this. Oh my God, cancer did that. But I think I find myself sometimes slipping and forgetting what a gift it's been to now be five plus years clean five plus years. You're right. We get back into the groove of things. We start going and doing all these things again. And we do forget, I'm blessed to still be here. It's a gift. And especially on those rough days where it just seems like nothing's going right. What surprised you most about cancer and cancer treatment? Oh, what surprised me most? (laughs) I guess that I had it. It's probably what surprised me most. Yeah. But I was, again, very happy, if you can be happy about having cancer, that there was such a variety of options open to me. And the um, amount of information, good information, that was actually out there. And how far... We have come in cancer, but yet how far we still have to go. I would take a look at some of the survival rates years ago, as opposed to the survival rates now, and we're certainly on the right track. Most of my surprises were good. Again, I think a surprise was how, how do I want to say this? 
how really how it didn't hurt. You know, a lot of people think, oh, my God, cancer is terrible. You know, I lost somebody and they were in pain. And if you get to a certain stage, yeah, and you have a certain type of cancer, that's certainly a potential. But for me, other than that one visual symptom, I had no lifestyle changes. I had no pain. I wasn't losing sleep. I didn't have fever. So that's the thing. So uh, again, I would encourage people to at least get an annual physical and check for all kinds of medical problems, not just cancer, because mm-hmm. you you catch it quick, the odds really become on your side. That's true. Stay on top of those physical exams and those cancer screenings. Yes. And like you said, check for everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Barry, have you experienced any latent effects or in other words, effects that have occurred several years after your treatment? Yeah, I would say that I have had some sexual related issues as opposed to the treatment. But again, 70 years old, some of them I think are going to be expected with age. But essentially, I've been able to sire a child since then. So apparently everything is working to a degree. I firmly believe, and again, this is not scientific, but I think had I had my prostate removed, I might not have had the child because of talking to other people. And again, talk to your physician. If this is a big concern for you, don't be going by me. I'm sharing my experience. And again, that's not your experience. I guess the most outright issue was the reduction in seminal fluid after treatment. But apparently uh, the fluid is just a transport mechanism. Apparently sperm was still viable and uh, I have a two-year-old to prove that. So that would be the thing that the reduction in seminal fluid was what I saw as the almost immediate after effect. Thank you for sharing that, Barry. And congratulations on being able to have a child after. That's a blessing. It is. And so he's, all my kids are special, but he is really special just because of when he came. Being a firefighter changed the odds of encountering cancer. Yeah, it did. Firefighters are typically, and I've read different studies and different surveys, have a between a 20 to 30 percent increased risk of cancer over the general public. And specifically, prostate cancer is the most common cancer found among firefighters. Now, there are potentially a number of reasons for that. When I first became involved in the fire service, it was over 50 years ago. It was an entirely different concept. We rode on the back step of fire trucks, which people don't do anymore. We took a hose line into burning buildings without the benefit of breathing apparatus. We typically kept them in suitcases on the side of the truck in the compartments. And the concept was you got to get the water on the fire as quick as you can, putting those breathing apparatus on. That slows you down. Go in there. If you can put the fire out, fine. If you can't, hold it to the room or rooms where it's at. And the next people who come along will get the apparatus and come in and relieve you. That exposed us to, obviously, a lot of carcinogens, a lot of toxic materials. There are car fires, for example. We typically never put breathing apparatus on because, oh, we're, quote, outside. Now, today... People put it on because there's a recognition. There's a lot of nasty things on fire when Mm -hmm. your car burns. We also became our own worst enemy and that some of the chemicals we developed to fight fires turned out to be carcinogens. And so we exposed ourselves to the interesting thing 
is that to counteract the time element of, oh, you, you can't take the time to get the breathing apparatus out of the box, it got put in the cab of fire apparatus, and people started riding in the cab of fire apparatus. And then you could have the breathing apparatus on your back as soon as you got off the engine and went to fight a fire. Now there is a swing back in the other direction and that we've come up with what's called the clean cab concept because they have found high levels of considerogen in the enclosed cabs of fire apparatus because of everybody's dirty gear and the breathing apparatus tanks that are covered with all kinds of stuff from the fire. So it's going the other way. So again, you mentioned about staying on top of new cancer treatments and new cancer research. In our field, it's staying on top of, okay, what's the latest? What have we found out about things that give us cancer? How do we deal with it? Interesting and sad side note, there have been almost as many New York City firefighters killed from cancer from 9-11 than were actually killed that day during the terrorist attacks. It is now up to over 300 firefighters who have died since due to their exposure to the various toxins at that emergency site. So it will be, if not this year, by next year, the death toll of firefighters after the event will exceed those killed that day. Wow, that's a very interesting statistic. But I can understand that the more you explain is understandable because 9-11 was major. And like you said, sometimes those things happen years and years later. Those effects show up years and years later. Yeah, and the same for me. My cancer developed years and years after any exposure that I had. And there are obviously people who belong to these large departments like New York City or Los Angeles, Chicago, whatever, that have a higher rate of exposure than I ever had. Those are the folks who are typically at more risk than I was. Yeah. And Barry, I was just thinking about this, knowing that firefighters have a 20 to 30 percent higher risk of getting cancer. Is there anything in place? Is there any special kind of insurance, any special funds? There are occasionally funds that are created rounding special conditions or special incidents. There were, again, sources focused on 9-11. There have been sources focused on some of the firefighting chemicals, as you typically see, almost like class action product lawsuits. But again, there, there have been some people who have tried to take advantage of that and have put out faults claims and established the false charities. So that's, again, a part of life. If there are any firefighters listening to your podcast, one of the things that I would do is I would recommend them to two websites for sources of information. One is firefightercancersupport.org. Okay. And that is a, again, firefighter cancersupport.org. And that really kind of serves as a clearinghouse for a lot of good information for resources for firefighters. Secondarily, there is a website that I am proud to be directly associated with that is called firefightercloscalls.com. That's firefightercloscalls.com. And we take a look at basically almost everything that can get firefighters injured or killed, whether it's poor tactics, poor training, or in this case, reports on incidents that involve cancer in places where firefighters can get additional information. So those would be two of the many bona fide sources that I would recommend. 
Mary, if people are interested in learning more about you, your cancer journey, what websites would you like to share or social media? Barryfury.com is my professional website. And you can also follow me on Facebook under Barry Fury. Thank you, Barry. And I will include that information in the listen notes as well. I want to thank you again so much for your time and all the very insightful information that you've shared about your cancer journey, prostate cancer, and then also the risks that firefighters face in their very important work. You are welcome. And just as a closing note, I hopefully am not back on another cancer journey, but they have discovered some abnormalities and I am all for colonoscopy in a few weeks. So hopefully it is nothing, but if not, I'm ready to give it another good fight. Okay. Thank you for sharing that, Barry. My thoughts and prayers are with you as you get ready for your colonoscopy. And I pray for very good results. Thank you. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. That's it for this Wednesday. Until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.